Good morning. It is Monday, October 5th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on Community Pulse, we'll discuss what high-profile coronavirus cases mean for us, members of the general public, and we'll review common terms used when we talk about stopping a COVID outbreak, including incubation periods, quarantine, and isolation. Our host, Dr. Elizabeth Allman, is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. She joins us via phone this morning. Good morning, Dr. Allman. Good morning, Mallory, and good morning to KOPN community. Um, I am traveling out of state for uh, family health reasons, and um, so I'm missing Uh, fall weather and my interaction with the community. So it's really lovely to have this by phone today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we could go over some numbers, um, Mallory, and I I want to very briefly, you know, we're up worldwide, 35 million confirmed cases with a million deaths. Uh, In the United States, we're past the 7 million case mark and the close to 215,000 deaths. And Matthew Holloway is showing us that in Missouri, we have had 137,000 cases and uh, uh, 2,378 deaths. In central Missouri, in Boone County, we've had 12 deaths in Boone County and 14 deaths in Cole County. Um, And in uh, uh, Boone County, we've had uh, 4,912 cases. So, you know, we're seeing an increase of about uh, between 700 and 1,000 cases a day in Missouri. And according to Matthew Holloway, we've also seen a slowing in the rate at which um, data is available. Um, And then, you know, this week we kind of crashed our uh, Boone County data dashboard, but it, it is back. And we're seeing, you know, 37 cases yesterday and 30 cases on Saturday and I'm sorry. Are you still there? Yep. Okay. So, you know, I'm sorry. It was 30. This is this is Monday. 37 cases on the 4th yesterday and 30 on Saturday. Um, so we're, st- we're at the lower numbers than when we were seeing hundreds or 200, you know, hundreds of cases a day. Um, but our positivity rate is um, definitely uh, still higher than what we'd like it to be. It was um, uh, 12.8 percent for the week of uh, ending the 1st of October, um, down from a high of 20, but way up from less than 1 percent, which we saw um, through most of the summer. Um, But I think that a lot of the talk has been about the fact that our governor and our president have both announced that they have um, contracted COVID. And and I think at last I could tell three senators uh, had been, had tested, U.S. senators had tested positive. And it it generated sort of a storm of news about um, testing and whether it's useful and what does it mean to be a, have a positive test and how long are people contagious and so I kind of wanted to go over that in the context of these these cases and I'm wondering if you have any specific questions, Mallory, that that this brought up for you. I think the biggest thing that's on my mind is, you know, what are the best practices when you start feeling sick but haven't been tested or haven't gotten a result 
yet back back yet. Um, What are you supposed to do when you have, you know, engagements or work responsibilities that that you have already committed to? Yeah, and these are challenging conversations because (laughs) I don't want to say anything that then says, oh, well, that's clearly the best practices. So if you did something other than that, what you did was an ethical failing. I think the truth is that there's a spectrum of what are our responsible choices. Mm-hmm. And it depends a little bit on what really is your, you know, your chance of what is the risk that you actually have COVID, which is hard to tell because most of us want to believe we are either, I think most of us are either way overestimating or way underestimating our risk based on whether we're feeling anxious or feeling in denial. So um, I think that people who have symptoms that are consistent with COVID, which is a long list and overlap with the common cold, with influenza and with things like allergies, um, uh, that we should stay away from people. So if we knew that if you have a positive test, the recommendation is that you isolate. So isolation, I'm just being so particular about these words, isolation is the recommendations we have for people who actually are sick. And that duration is 10 days from the first symptom or from your positive test if you don't get symptoms, and three days with no symptoms. So we want you to be fully recovered and it to be 10 days from things started. And that is shorter than the quarantine rate, quarantine duration, which is what we recommend for people who've been exposed. And we're not trying to be unfair. It's just that the incubation period of time for this illness is 14 days. That is in the 14 days between the time you get exposed and the 14 days after you get exposed, you could go from being having a negative test to a positive test, from being not contagious to being contagious any day in those 14 days, regardless of any testing we do. So a lot of people want to get tested after they've been exposed so that they don't have to quarantine. And sadly, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. So the question is, what did your question, though, is a great one. What do you do if it's a gray area? You don't know if you've been exposed. You've been out in the public a little bit. Now you have, say, a cough and maybe a sore throat and you don't feel great. So, uh, and maybe you have important things to do. I think that um, if you can, safely without losing your job and becoming impoverished, if you can be transparent, that would be the very best option. So that everybody knows. So that you'd say, you know what, I think I can come to work. I think it's allergies, but I'm having a sore throat and a cough, and I'm going to go get tested. So that all the rest of the people have a choice about whether to be around you or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you should do when you're with is also difficult. And you, just I cut had, out, you just cut out for just a minute. What you should yeah. do when you're what? So when you have, you're waiting on a test result, mm-hmm. so you've so you've been tested, and you don't have your test result back. And sadly, um, patients who are tested don't have any control over how long that takes. So during that time, it depends a little bit on why you got tested. Um, so many people are getting tested because their due date is coming up. They're pregnant, and their due date is coming up, and the recommendation is that they quarantine. They get tested and then quarantine for two weeks. Um, and so if they're waiting on that test, um, is it okay for them to be around people? Well, we are asking them to quarantine, so that that would be a different thing. What if you are about to schedule a surgery, you're about to get on an airplane, 
you don't have any symptoms, you're getting tested for screening. What if you participate in a community-wide screening and you went without symptoms and you're just wanting to do your civic duty to get tested? And I'm not sure that we need to do anything different than when you're not waiting for a test. But the truth is, if your test comes back positive, um, people in your life may think you did an irresponsible thing by not telling people. And so that kind of brings us back to, you know, the the high-profile cases. Um, There's now some question about when it was that the president um, received his news, how often he is actually being tested, why he was tested, is he getting tested every day? Uh, those questions are, you know, we don't have the answers to them. But it's possible that he had a preliminary result some 24 hours before he got his final result that he actually told us about. And people are having a lot of big feelings about whether he should have told us more. And so we're in that dance of having a pandemic where, in general, my medical care is my private business and it's not your business Mm -hmm. but what happens when we're in a pandemic and you're about to spend time with me do i have a right to know when the last time you were tested was and what the result Mm -hmm. and too i mean we've heard a lot of uh, reports about how slowly contact tracing is going and how it's it's not going in some instances where the president was so um what is you know the the obligation for people who are at an event, you hear that someone has tested positive, um, but you haven't been contacted by anyone. Um, what's kind of the general rec- recommendations? Are, are you just supposed to, even though no one is telling you to do it, to still quarantine until you've gotten tested yourself? Yeah, so if you believe that you've spent 15 minutes within six feet of a person who's contagious, mm-hmm. then um, the recommendation is that you quarantine. Um, and uh, if you wait until you're contacted by officials, that may be a long wait, especially if, you know, it's a public event and you don't, maybe nobody knows that you were there. Like the health department may not have a list of who was at an event where the governor and the first lady or the president and the first lady or these various senators were, um, and uh, there may be some hesitation among health leaders who are appointed uh, people to not offend powerful political people. I'm guessing many of our public health officials are just courageously doing the right best thing. But it's a tricky thing to ask people who, with very little power to, to call and talk to people with way more power than they are and have difficult conversations where we ask, So who have you been around? Who lives in your house? Mm -hmm. Um, And if people are living, and I am not saying that public officials are any more likely to be doing this than anybody else, but if people are saying living private lives and maybe have, um, oh, partners or uh, romances that they maybe didn't want everybody to know about, they may not tell public health officials that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and when okay so say those people do go and get tested and they're negative like I just read that Senator Josh Hawley tested negative, um, and I feel like at least on social media and different things people you know respond with great relief when they receive a negative test after yes. they have exposure. Um, but what does that one test tell us? I mean, should these 
public officials be getting tested every single day for us to really know the far-reaching effects of, of what's going on right now? Or, right. Um, so, Josh, if I, if I know what Josh Hawley looks like and I saw an accurate photograph, it appears to me that he had exposure less than six feet, more than 15 minutes, to someone who is now positive at the Rose Garden event, mm-hmm. which means, and I might not know, I may have misidentified him, and if so, I'm very sorry. But any person, regardless of their political office, who spent more than 15 minutes, less than six feet away, even if they were wearing a mask and even if they were outside <clears throat> from a person who was contagious, then they should quarantine for 14 days, regardless of their test results. Because, for example, Josh Hawley was negative whatever day he got his test done. I am so happy for him. And he could be positive, he could turn positive the very next day or any day within the 14 days after his exposure. So say that again, because I, I have not heard that much in the, the national conversation or no, even we are the not. statewide conversation. Right. I know. So the recommendation is that you do a 14-day quarantine if you have spent more than six, 15 minutes, less than six feet away from any person who is contagious, regardless of any testing that you do. So we do the testing not to determine how long your quarantine is, but to determine whether you are now a case and we need to track, trace your contacts. So the reason that we would test uh, Senator Hawley is to see whether we should also test his wife I'm presuming he's married, uh, his household contacts and his staff and other people he was in contact with. So should we notify anybody at any event he was at that no other person was, uh, no other um, infectious person was? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the quarantine is regardless of your test results. And I think that that is something that people are not, it is something I'm spending a lot of time every day talking to people about. People call and want to call me and want to test, and I am so happy to provide that four four three seven zero seven zero. If you think you need a test, you can call my office and we'll help you get one. And they are exposed and they want to test right away because, and then what they say is because I can't quarantine. Mm-hmm. The test result does not change the recommendation about the quarantine. The qu- recommended quarantine is fourteen days, regardless of any test results. Right. Right. And so um, some people might say, okay, well, then why are we testing at all? Why doesn't everyone just go into automatic quarantine? Why are we doing this frequent t- testing? So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, can you describe, you know, some, some of the weak w- weaknesses of frequent twes- testing, but why it does still right. make sense? Uh, yeah, that's one of the things that has come up. So there's frequent testing happening at the White House. And I'm presuming in the Senate as well. I don't know for sure exactly what's happening. And again, people have a right to some of their privacy. So um, apparently everybody who comes in contact with uh, the president gets tested. And the the president is tested fairly often. And yet he and the first lady still got um, infected. And I am wishing them both well. So it is not nothing that we have come up with so far is 100%. And honestly, in all of medicine, nothing is 100%. Um, so uh, the, you know, wearing a mask does not 100% protect you or the people around you. Social distancing does not 100% protect you or the people around you. And it's not 100% that if you don't do those things, you're going to get it. 
you kind of have to have a perfect storm of an infectious person, maybe a super spreading event, and uh, vulnerable people who were close enough and not protected by either outdoor air or mask protecting. So, but frequent testing means that the president and the first lady knew that they were um, infectious before they would have if they'd waited for somebody to get sick. And it means that they, we knew about other asymptomatic people. Apparently, there were other White House staff people, including some maybe some Secret Service members who have been either asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic that we now know are positive and we can, uh, you know, ask them to isolate. Um, we can ask their contacts to quarantine and we can maybe keep um, this from spreading rapidly through the White House, through the Senate, and through our communities. Um, we are not going to be able to stop the spread of this like New Zealand did and Australia have. I think we're that's, that horse has long ago left the barn. But I think, again, one of the things we want is to not overwhelm our healthcare system. We've had uh, Dr. Eric Martin and some other people on to talk about how challenging it is to work in a hospital system right now where, you know, beds are filling up and people are spending more time in the emergency room waiting for a bed in the hospital. And that's really challenging. And so if it gets worse than that, what can happen is that people feel like there's no point going to the hospital or there isn't, there starts to be not a whole lot of a point going to the hospital if things are overwhelmed. And then the uh, case fatality rate goes way up because people can't get the life-saving treatment they need in the hospital. Again, like the president has gotten, he's, he's been able to go to Walter Reed Medical Center, and I'm glad that's available to him, and get world-class medical care. And so he is le far less likely to die than if that were not available to him. And we don't really know exactly what's going on. I mean, they have released some information, but um, the credibility of that information has, you know, of course, <laughs> really been questioned. And uh, and I, I know we're not we're not a politics show. We're not trying to get into the politics there. But but these are our public officials, and as citizens of the United States of America, I mean, we. Um, we deserve to know what's what's going on, what our taxpayer money is being spent on, and how um, you know what what is what are the, what the far-reaching implications of this are going to be. Right. Um, so you know, this has been a discussion for a really long time about what is the right of the public mm -hmm. to know about the health condition of our elected officials, and it is you know it. So the president does not have the absolute right to privacy about health, uh, his health condition or her health condition, and the public does not have an absolute right to know every detail mm -hmm. of, of the president's um, health condition. So we are sort of debating that back and forth. Um, and you're right, I have had some difficulty parsing through what's actually happening, and there has been some inconsistent reports. So there have been the sense that we wanted to have everybody feel confident and we wanted to give a rosy projection, but maybe there were some low oxygen levels and then why is he in the hospital? And anyway, so I do want to sort of go through some of the, some of the things that I can hear through the media and um, that are being reported that give some information. So one is the president has been given 
uh, remdesivir, which is an antiviral drug initially developed for treating Ebola, which has been shown to have some effectiveness against uh, COVID disease. And it is recommended, as far as I can read, for people with moderate to severe illness. So generally, it's people who are requiring supplemental oxygen and who are in the hospital. So he's been given that drug, and then we've been told that he is, is only mildly sick. So that is a little bit of an inconsistency. And is it possible that the president is being given the drug um, earlier than other people would be given the drug? That is possible. He's also been given dexamethasone, or at least that's what we've been told. Again, this is a steroid that's been around for a long time, and it modulates the inflammatory response. And... Um, well, remdesivir has been shown to shorten hospital stay but not have a marked impl- impact on survival. Remdesivir has um, shortened the course of the illness and has had a marked um, impact on survival. Um, and also is being given to people who are um, moderately or severely ill, so people who have required hospitalization and are on supplemental oxygen. And it seems to reduce um, the chance that you would need to be on a ventilator. So he's being given drugs that are typically reserved for people with moderate to severe illness, and then his illness is being described as mild. So that is a little bit of an inconsistency. Um, There have been some inconsistency. Let's see, I just want to finish the treatment. He is also being given a what's being called a cocktail of antibodies, and I really don't like that word. So it is, there are things called monoclonal antibodies, which are basically you clone cells and they all produce the same antibody. So if, if, for example, if you or I got coronavirus, we would develop antibodies, many of them, to coronavirus, and they would be varied. But when we create these monoclonal antibodies, each each, um, molecule of the antibody is exactly the same because we are cloning the B cells that make the antibodies. And this is a technology that's relatively new in medicine, but we've been using it for some other illnesses. And he has been given a combination of two monoclonal antibodies, both of them to the spike protein on the coronavirus, which we think is the protein that allows the virus to attach to the ACE2 receptor on the outside of our cell and to gain entry into our cell. And they wanted to use two antibodies, not just one, because they didn't want to, we don't want to in, um, force or put an evolutionary pressure on the virus to shift and to modify its protein. So we thought it, the thought is if we give two different antibodies to different parts of the spike protein, it would be harder for the virus to evolve in a way that would make it resistant to this treatment. So that 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 drug is being given in therapeutic trials, and uh, as far as I understand, the president has not been enrolled in a trial, but has been given this as a, um, an exemption for compassionate use. And um, it gets really messy when we start to give too many people outside of a clinical trial a drug that is in stu- in being studied, because then their results start to skew all of our thinking and data about it. And um, I know that it feels like it's so cruel to deny this to people who don't meet the um, study criteria, and yet it is the way we develop drugs. 
So, <clears throat> and then he's also taking zinc and um, famotidine, which is a drug for um, uh, uh, peptic ulcer disease for acid reflux, and aspirin. And we think the aspirin is, we, we are starting to experiment with things like aspirin to prevent the blood clotting that is a problem with COVID disease. Interestingly, nobody's talking about whether he's taking vitamin D, which seems, the data seems to be accumulating that vitamin D, 2 to 6,000 international units a day, may be necessary for the healthy function of T cells. You know, we talk about this, are some people... Do some people have a little bit of immunity? Is there are was there already pre-existing immunity to this? It was based on T cell cross reactivity with cold viruses and coronavirus. And for the T cells to work function normally, we need fairly high levels of vitamin D, higher than what most Missourians can get with sun exposure. So apparently, Anthony Fauci is taking 6,000 international units a day. I am taking 2,000 international units a day and recommending that everybody do that. It doesn't appear that the president is taking that, or if he isn't, they haven't told us. So for our last few minutes, Dr. Alleman, should let's yeah. shift focus to, to Missouri and yeah. the high positivity rate that we have here right now. And I, I want to get your insight on one thing that I read over the weekend is that um, – the top, this is from Missourian reporting, the top 10 counties with the highest seven day positivity rates do not have populations greater than 30,000 people right now. So um, with, with that information, I mean, do you think that that is indicative of not, not enough testing happening in our rural counties in the state? Or is, is there possibly something else going on um, that might be behind those numbers? So I have not delved, delved, delved into those numbers, but it, my first impression about that is that this was, this was inevitable, that the illness initially started, you know, the infection initially started in places like New York City and Seattle and L.A., which have large international populations, large international airports, a lot of international travel, um, and then and, and concentrated populations, um, and then... Uh, spread from there, like many things do, not just infections, but, you know, cultural ideas and, um, I don't know, styles. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, you know, spread across the country and initially first to St. Louis in Missouri and then Kansas City and Springfield, again, communities with a fair amount of travel and um, airports, and then more slowly traveled to rural communities where people don't necessarily travel as much and maybe don't have as much interaction with uh, international travelers or national travelers once international wasn't so, such an important thing. And then I think in addition, the sense that we got, this sort of false sense of security that this was just something that happened in cities and that in rural communities it wouldn't be an issue. Combined with, I'm just going to say it, I, I I have strong political beliefs. The only ones I want to say on this program is that our leaders have not – they have led us. And what they have led us to do is to disdain social distancing, disdain mask wearing, and to pretend like this is not that big of a deal. And I think that that has resulted in people having overconfidence and continuing to do things like weddings, funerals, church gatherings inside, and now political gatherings inside as well. 
Yeah, that that does that that helps me kind of um, put in context just reading that sentence um, this weekend and being like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Um, so thank you. Is there anything else that that you want to leave our listeners with today before we sign off? Yeah. So follow what's happening to these um, powerful people and realize that it's all you know. None of us are invulnerable to it. I'm. I am not trying to be. Um, I'm doing this with the greatest compassion I have. And again, we know what things slow the illness. None of us are immune to, uh, you know, going to avoid it 100%. But if we will, you know, limit gatherings, especially indoors, move everything outdoors that you can, wash your hands, wear your mask, take your vitamin D, and um, develop a cheerful confidence that no matter what happens in life, that your body can handle a virus. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Allman. I hope you have a good You're rest welcome. of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with host Jenny Chadwick. And remember that we are in the midst of voting season. You can mail in your absentee or mail-in ballot or vote absentee in person at the Boone County Clerk Office at the Boone County Government Center. That's 801 East Walnut Street, room 236. Or make your plan for Election Day on November 3rd. And just a reminder that you can register to vote until October 7th, which is coming up really quick. So visit vote.boonmo.org if you need to check your registration status um, and find more information. Thank you so much for tuning in to Community Pulse on KOPN 89.5 FM. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.